chapter 5 is our text this morning. Verses 39 through 47. I state many times, especially over the last 10 years or so, I've stated many times that we are living in dangerous times. Uh, not only because we see what's happening in the world, but because 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, that we're living in, 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 those who live in the last days are living in dangerous times. And, and certainly we see what's happening globally, what's happening um, with all of the tensions geopolitically and, and otherwise. But even in our own country, dealing with issues that 20 to 30 years ago we never thought we would have to deal with. The silencing, as it were, of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, though it is not completely silenced in many ways, it's being attacked. But we as believers in Jesus Christ have something to stand on, and that is the word of God. And we're not only to stand upon it, we are to proclaim it, we are to declare it. But more than anything, we are to know it. And we are to know our God through it. And in knowing him, we are to love him. Consider, if you will, the things that Jesus is stating to the, relig the religious leaders of, of, of Israel in Jerusalem. As he refutes their accusations of his breaking of the Sabbath law or the accusation of his blasphemy by calling God his father. Now what we have studied so far over the last five weeks in this particular chapter is that Jesus has made the claim that he is equal with God, because he is. And he is not only God, the Son, or I should say the Son of God, he is also the Son of Man. And as the Son of Man, he has shown us very clearly how we, who are believers in him, are to also live. He's offered proof claims to these issues of him not only giving life, but also having the authority to judge, as the Father has given them that authority to judge in the last days. And even the power to resurrect. All of these things have been made clear by Jesus to these religious leaders. But then he says in verse 39 of our text, as we left off last time, he said, Search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. 
I receive not honor from men. But I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Let's pray. Father, this morning, once again, we ask for the anointing and blessing of your Holy Spirit. Once again, we ask for your wisdom and mercy and grace and understanding, Lord. That these words themselves would stir in our hearts to truly not only study your scriptures, but to search them, search them out, to dig deep into them, to know you, Lord, to know more about you, to know more of you, to know more of your love and grace. That we, as your sons and daughters, that we, as your people, we, as your servants, Lord, would proclaim and declare what is the truth and has been and always will be. Father, have your words, Lord God, themselves pierce our own hearts today. May we receive them, Lord, not only as a strong, strong medicine, but Lord, also as that which will heal us. This morning also we pray for Rachel Sarabia, who is currently in critical care, and that the doctors have not been able to make a proper diagnosis of what she's suffering. She has two children, Lord. We no, she's a single mom. We pray for her and ask you, Lord, to bless her today. Bless her with your healing. Strengthen her, oh God, to come out of these uh, struggles, these uh, medical, these uh, physical struggles that she's dealing with. Only you know what she's going through and truly know how to heal her, Lord. So we lift her up to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus has made these strong claims with equally strong proofs of his equality with God as Father. To be, or he actually makes these claims to the religious leaders in Jerusalem following, following the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. Now in refuting their accusations that he had violated the Sabbath laws and, and that he had blasphemed by making himself equal with God by calling God his Father, Jesus clearly and authoritatively declared his power to give life and that authority was given to him by the Father to execute judgment at the resurrection of the dead. Now, Jesus then proceeded to establish witnesses to give testimony to these things. So he mentions then, of course, the Godhead giving witness of him 
We said either the Father or the Spirit, so we'll just say the Spirit. The Spirit certainly bore witness of Jesus then, and the Spirit even to this day gives uh, witness of Jesus now. But back then, John the Baptist bore witness of Jesus, and we saw how Jesus mentions that John gave witness and testimony to his work and to uh, uh, to who he was. And then he said that the works that the Father had given him uh, to finish uh, bore witness of him. Then he does mention the Father himself bearing witness of Jesus. And last but not least, he mentions the Scriptures. In this case, the Hebrew Scriptures that bore witness and continue to this day to bear witness of Jesus. But as we left off uh, on verse 39, the Lord made a powerful statement that needs to be examined closely to understand His reasoning behind His words. So let's look at verse 39 again that says, Search the Scriptures. Now literally it, it, uh, it is, Search ye the Scriptures. Or you search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Now, the Greek word for search here, eraunao, is literally interpreted as you search. Even more literally, it is track the scent. Track the scent. Just like bulldogs track the scent of, of something that they're told to, to seek after. And they go after it until they find what they're looking for. They're tracking the scent. And this is what this word is used for. Now, this particular Greek word can either be a fact in the statement that we, we see Jesus say, you search the scriptures, or it is a command as well. Search ye the scriptures. So you search the scriptures as, as it says here in our text or search ye the scriptures. It appears that the words in the text for in them you think you all see that part there? For in them you think well that is significant here for in them you think you have eternal life. They point then toward the meaning being a statement of fact. So what he's saying is, okay, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. So the religionists do search the scriptures. That's a statement that Jesus is making. So you do search the scriptures, for you think that you have eternal life in your searching for them, or searching in them. But now the scriptures do proclaim the message of eternal life. The scriptures do proclaim the message of eternal life and show us how to secure eternal life, but the scriptures do not impart or give eternal life. Do you see the difference? The scriptures uh, proclaim how to secure it, but the scriptures do not impart or give eternal life. Only Jesus can give eternal life. So please understand that a person does not secure eternal life by reading the scriptures no matter how much they read. A person does not secure eternal life by knowing the Scriptures no matter how much they know. A person doesn't secure eternal life by being religious no matter how religious they are. And a person doesn't secure eternal life by doing religious works no matter how much good they do. Please understand that. 
We should know that a person receives eternal life only by believing and giving his heart and life to Jesus Christ. So in John 3.16, the most popular verse that most people know, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's pretty clear in that particular verse of Scripture. It's in Scripture, isn't it? So Scripture is showing us what we need to do for eternal life. Whosoever believeth that in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now John, who writes the Gospel of John, also wrote three letters to the church. And in his first letter to the church, in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, John says this, and this is the record. Now notice, this is the record. I am writing it down as a record, as a statement, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, But here is the record, here is the witness, here is the testimony that God has given to us eternal life and and, and this life is in His Son. See, not in His Scriptures, but in His Son. And he that has the Son has life and he that has not the Son of God has not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. We can know that we have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, if you continue on in a a theological pursuit, tracking the scent of this, realize that in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11, Paul deals with this very same issue. In Romans 10 verse 9, most, uh, most of us have, have heard verses 9 and 10 together. We're going to add one more verse to that. But here it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Now notice the process. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. I confess Jesus Christ and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. That is what he's saying here. So thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart. Believe is not just a mental assent. Believe is the complete trust and having complete faith, complete dependency upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So now we know what that is because of the Scriptures. But the scriptures don't give the life. It just tells us what we have to do. But then look at verse 11. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So we see that the scriptures have a very important uh, job here. A very very important uh, uh, responsibility in giving us the way to eternal life. And so what the scriptures do is testify of the Mashiach the Messiah of Israel, who is Jesus. And it is this very same Jesus, after he rose from the dead, to two weary disciples, that Jesus appeared on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion and resurrection. And and they were kind of, they were pretty weary because, you know, they were coming back from Jerusalem on their way to Emmaus and they had seen what had happened. I mean, the week was, was, was 
was incredibly uh, painful in, in, in a lot of ways. Having seen what they had done to Jesus, having seen what they had done in taking him to Calvary, to Golgotha, through the hill of the skull, and, and where they nailed Jesus to a, a cross beam and raised it up onto a tree and nailed him onto that tree. Watching him die maybe from a distance. Keeping their distance, certainly if they were disciples because of all the word that was spreading about the people that followed him. And walking away, having heard, having heard though that on, on that day of first fruits, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, They had heard that the body was not found, that some disciples and women had gone and they didn't find his body. But they didn't know the full story, it, is, it, it appears. So here they go down the road to Emmaus and Jesus appears to them and, and walks with them and they're not sure who he is. And they're telling him what's going on and what's been, don't you know what's been happening all this week? And and so we pick up in Luke 24, 40, uh, 25, where he says, And he said unto them, Oh, fools. Now, now he said that in a loving way. Well, don't get any ideas. <laughs> Certainly somewhere in the scriptures it tells us we're not to call anybody fool. But Jesus can do it. <laughs> he said, Oh, fools, and, and slow of heart to believe. Notice, slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Is this not what he kept telling you? Is this not what I kept telling you? <laughs> that I'm going to be suffering and I'm going to be taken and crucified, but on the third day I will rise again. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And so what does he do? Jesus Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures. Notice, all the scriptures at that time, it was the Tanakh, it was the Torah, the five books of Moses, it was the prophets, it was the Psalms. Expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then you jump down to verse 44, after a time with them and meals and all of that. He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you. While I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. You see, that's what we need. That's what we need. And we needed that. And praise God that it is through the Spirit that He gives us that understanding. He opened, uh, opened He their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. 
So now they understand. Now they know. Now they have understanding about all of these things. And then he sends them out. He says, you're witnesses of these things. And then along with all the other disciples, he says, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And again, the focus of all of that was to say that Jesus tells us, look and listen and see what the Word of God says about me. Understand that. Consider as well what Peter would write. Peter, who of course spent three and a half years in ministry with Jesus, but consider as well what Peter would write in his first letter to the church concerning the issue of of salvation, because this is what we're dealing with here. When Jesus said to those religious leaders, Search you the scriptures for you think that in them you have eternal life. Peter talks about salvation when he says in verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. But then he says in verse 10, 1 Peter 1.10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. The same word, track the scent. They searched diligently about this salvation who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, speaking to the church, uh, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So it is in the searching of the Scriptures It is in the digging deep into the Word of God to understand these things pertaining to our salvation. But obviously now, when you get back to Jesus and these religious leaders and and really much of the the Jewish people of that time and then just bring it down to our day and time, but a veil was draped over the minds and the hearts of these religious leaders who failed to see Jesus as the promised Messiah. There was a veil draped over their minds and over their hearts. Paul describes this veil when he talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, when he says, Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses. Notice Moses. This is a very important aspect to our study today because the Jewish religious leaders, I mean, they, they stood upon Moses. I mean, they... You know, they boasted upon Moses. They, they venerated Moses in a lot of ways. He said, but, and, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of, what, of that which is abolished. Now, folks, what, what, what the understanding is here that when, when Moses went up to the, to the mount there to receive the law from God, of course, in the presence of the Lord, the, the glory of the Lord was so powerful, it, it, it came upon Moses that, uh, you know, he... His coming down from the mount to the people, you know, they, they wouldn't be able to handle that. You know, the Lord uh, certainly could, uh, could take care of Moses. And, and the fact of the matter is, uh, the scriptures tell us that, that the Lord only showed the, you know, the backside of his glory. If he had shown this full side, he wiped Moses out. Nonetheless, you know, he puts this glory, this veil over the glory so that the people could handle him coming down, you know, having spent time with the Lord. But then later on, see, what was, what was starting to happen was that the, the, the glory started wearing away. 
So now you have to ask the question, now did Moses cover himself so that the people would think that he still had the glory even though the glory was, dis- was disappearing? So we have to say, aye, Moses. So not as Moses which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. Their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which is veil which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, now that's Paul's day, even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. The veil is upon their heart. Well, not just to to Paul's day, but even 2,000 years later, for many, the veil is still upon their minds and hearts. And they don't see Jesus. Now, praise God that in these last days, many Jewish people have come to Jesus. They've come to their Messiah. They've come to Yeshua. And they proclaim Him as their Mashiach, their Messiah. Many. A lot more should come and would come and will come. But a good number have come. As we see the day of Jesus approaching, So while Jesus gave these religious leaders the benefit of the doubt, so to speak, as to thinking that in their study of the Scriptures they would find the revelation of eternal life, their search was never deep enough to find the source and the strength of eternal life. Instead, they found more arguments supporting their own positions rather than discovering the signs and the shadows, the pictures all pointing to and revealing the Messiah of Israel, who now was physically in front of them. He's physically in front of them, and he's telling them that those scriptures are they that testify of me. But then he makes this tremendous statement in verse 40. And he says, and you will not come to me that you might have life. And you will not come to me that you might have life. Do you know what the, what the key word is in this phrase? It's the word will. That's the word you want to circle and, and highlight and underline and put uh, uh, arrows pointing to. The word will. You will not come to me that you might have life. And then he says, I receive not honor from men. But I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. You know, it should send chills down the heart of every person when Jesus says to you, I know you. You see, we we might fool some of the people most of the time about who we are. Most of us as believers, you know, we we try to be as, as open and honest now because we weren't open and honest before, but we try to be open and honest with everybody, but there's still things that we don't reveal, but but Jesus knows them.
husbands and wives can, can be together for 20, 30, 40 years. They know a little bit more down through the, down through the years, but they don't know like Jesus. And we oftentimes wonder, how does he say that to us? I know you. I know you. I know you. Ah. Well, keep that in mind. Because what he says to them is, I know you that you have not the love of God in you. As I said in verse 40, the word that is stressed here is will. Men do not will to come to Christ. Think about that. Men do not will to come to Christ. This, this is, an, in fact, a deliberate choosing to reject Jesus as Messiah. They were actually exercising the will not to come to Him for salvation. They were exercising the will not to come to Him for salvation. There is a, there is a stubbornness. There is an inflexibility. There is a hardness within mankind that reveals a rebellion against God and His Word. In particular, many of those who were His very own. And this was was stated to us early on in our study of John chapter 1. Stated very early on in in the very uh, preamble, as it were, to this gospel. When it says in verse 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. He came unto his own. The Jewish people. It it, it is from statements that we hear Jesus speak and, and, and state strongly, especially toward the end toward the cross. That Jesus, in, in, in appearing in Jerusalem before that week of Passover, that Jesus would say in Matthew 23, verse 37, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, Folks, understand, they killed the true prophets of God. Not, not all of them, but, but, but certainly a good number of them. They killed the true prophets of God. You know what that tells us? Well, that tells us that while they killed the true prophets of God, they had their own prophets. They had false prophets, false teachers, even false messiahs. As there are today. Because they would say what the king wanted them to say. If the king was, a, was, was, was an evil king. And there were a number of evil kings in Israel and Judah. They had their own prophets. Think of Ahab and Jezebel. Because they would say what, they, what the king wanted to hear. So Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, sent by God unto them, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, 
But notice the last phrase, and you would not. Translate that into modern English. But you weren't willing. You weren't willing. Will. You see? The will. Add to this thought that the religionists misinterpreted Jesus' motives and his motivation. They misinterpreted thinking that he, was, that he was upset or that he was disturbed for not being accepted or recognized by them. They considered that he was mad that he hadn't been endorsed by them. That he went on this long monologue that we find in chapter 5. In fact, he wasn't claiming to be the Son of God just to receive their praise and glory. He was not claiming to be the Son of God just to receive their praise and their glory. This is why we see in verse 41 that Jesus said, I receive not honor from man. But more than anything, Jesus was proclaiming the truth to them Because he loved them. He was proclaiming the truth to them because he loved them. And the fact of his deity is the truth. The fact of his deity is the truth. And folks, people must face up to that truth if they want to be saved. We have to face up to the truth that Jesus is exactly who he said he was and who he says he is. Jesus is, by the way, (laughs) who he claims to be. Consider that in the last chapter of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, in speaking now to a gathering of Jews in Rome, expounded from the Torah and the prophets concerning the kingdom of God and to persuade them concerning Jesus. And because some believed and many did not believe, Paul would quote from the prophecy of Isaiah because of those who didn't believe. Listen to what he said. This is at the end of Acts 28, the last chapter of the book of Acts. In verse 25 it says, And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that. Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Everything was given to them in plain sight. The truth. And even in the time of Isaiah comes this ominous prophecy. In seeing they do not see. In hearing they do not hear. In understanding, they do not understand. And then he goes on to say, by the way, back in the early part of that verse, he talks about them growing gross 
This is a gross way of being. But then he says, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. But that rejection of Jesus Christ, man's rejection of Jesus, folks, it cuts to the very heart of the Messiah. It cuts to the very heart of Jesus and the pain may be seen in the very tenderness of his words when he says to them, you will not come to me. Verse 40, you will not come to me that you might have life. In effect, what he said was, you will you will to not come to me. And what happens when there is a neglect of such a great salvation that is found only in and through Jesus Christ? Paul himself deals with this issue in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 2, verse 3, he says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto, unto us by them that heard him? Speaking of the apostles and all. But notice what he says. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began by, to be spoken by the Lord? The Lord made it clear who he was. And what he came to do. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Don't forget verse 17 of John 3. And then it was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. The preaching of the gospel. But then later on in chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 25, Paul would continue and say, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. So great a salvation that has come from God. This is God's message to us. Through His Word, through His Son, through His Spirit. So of those who, who, who refused the Word spoken on earth, or the Word that went forth on earth, you think that you'll escape if you refuse the words of Jesus Himself. And then verse 42 of our text reveals a sad truth. Verse 42 of our text reveals a sad truth that men, 
men will to reject Christ and the claim of Christ because they do not love God. Look at verse 42. But I know you. I know you. I know you. That you have not the love of God in you. Now you have to understand what that means. You have not the love of God in you. That is literally the love for God. Love for God. The love for God, in other words, was not in their hearts. This is the time for great examination upon our own lives and our own hearts. As I said earlier, we could read all the scriptures that we want. We could say we read the scriptures every day. That does not save us. We can know, we can memorize scripture. But do we know Jesus? And do we love God? It was something that these religious leaders should have known about going all the way back to the giving of the law about how the people in receiving the law were to love God with all their heart. What about Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and following? What about the, the Shema, Israel? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Yet Jesus says, I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. That's the love that he was talking about. You shall love the Lord your God. You see, those to whom Jesus was speaking professed to love God deeply. I mean, let's face it, they worshiped faithfully. They were always at the temple. They worshiped faithfully. They knew the scriptures to a certain degree. They were always praying. And think about this. They were not ashamed to talk about him, about God, to their fellow Jews. They weren't ashamed to talk about them. Even to this day, when you go to Israel, and we've, we've been there many times to, to see how they do talk to their people about, you know, they, they all have their own opinions, though, you know. In other words, you know, when, when, you, when you see three Jews talking to each other, there's four opinions there. That kind of thing. I'm not coming down on them, folks. I, I know them and I love them. <laughs> the Pharisees, they began 200 years before the birth of Jesus on this earth. But the Pharisees, the sect of Pharisees began because the people had gone away from the word of God and they, they, they wanted to resurrect, they wanted to revive this, this, this faithfulness to the word of God. And so they began to, uh, to gather together and read the scriptures and, and do what, what they read was necessary. But then in the course of 200 years, by the time of Jesus and by the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, 
Now there was, there was much of the, of the outward going on, but a lot of the inward wasn't there. Why did Jesus say to them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. On the outside, you know, there's all this, this beauty, but on the inside is, is just dead men's bones. Empty tombs, he called them. In just 200 years, they went through the motions, but the heart was empty. The love of God was not in them. It wasn't, it wasn't shed abroad in their hearts. Not the kind of love that honors and praises God and gives all that one is and has to love and to help others. And in seeing this truth in them, these may also come to the love of God in Christ as well. To show the love of Christ, the, the love of God so that others might understand the love of God in their own lives. Is that not a witness? Is that not a testimony? Is that not even what Jesus has called us to do? That we're to go out and to show the love of God and the love of Christ to others? By pointing to the cross, by pointing to what Jesus did on our behalf and on their behalf, if they would only believe. Paul says in Romans 5, verses 5 and 6, he says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died. For the ungodly? That's love. But there was a dilemma. And there still remains a dilemma. That Jesus pointed out in Matthew 15 verse 8 when he said this people. Speaking of his own people. This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth. In other words they draw near to me with their mouth. And honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me. Folks, it, it, has, has the mirror of the Word of God been kind of coming near to us here today? Getting us to say, look to look into that mirror of the Word and say, whoa, this is sounding like me. Is it painful? Yes. Is it a good pain? It should be. Because it needs to draw us back to Him. Back to loving Him. And so if men loved God, they would receive Jesus Christ. If men truly loved God, if those men truly loved God, they would have received Jesus. Now John, let me, let me just interject this before we move on so you can see the, this in the text. But in John chapter, in 1 John I should say chapter 4, you know, John wrote not only the gospel but he wrote the book of Revelation and he also wrote three letters. To the church. In his first letter, he says in chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. Those two verses we used to sing as a song. I sing it. I don't have time to do it here. I love, I love singing that song. That's a 
comes right out of Scripture. But then John goes on and he says in verse 9, And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not just the sacrifice, but the atoning sacrifice. The only sacrifice that can work for us. Because it is not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the very precious blood of His only begotten Son, through whom we are indeed saved, if we believe. But you jump down to verse 16, and John goes on and says, And we have known and believe the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Is it any wonder that John is always called the apostle of love? <laughs> the apostle of God's love. You jump down to verse 19. It says, we love him because he first loved us. Maybe that's what they didn't understand. Because of their searching for things in the scriptures without seeing what they all represented about God's love for them. To give them the Messiah, the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15, the promise of Messiah. We can only love him because he first Love does. We don't understand love unless we realize that he loved us first. And then he says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Folks, this is the time that the Lord is going to say to us, I know you. I know you. You say you love me. But in your simple hatred toward this other person, you're lying. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. You see, there, there, there will be a great consequence in rejecting Christ. There will be a great consequence in rejecting Christ. You know, part of the problem that, that we have today in, in the church where people are redefining salvation and they're redefining all kinds of things you know, from the Scriptures because, you know, Jesus just can't possibly uh, uh, want to send anyone to hell. So we have to redefine. You know, this is the political correctness that is going on in the church today. Folks, there's only one thing. It's not PC, it's BC. Biblically correct. That's what matters. But, but the problem is that when we start redefining things, we are in effect rejecting the truth of Jesus Christ. And we're making the cross of Jesus Christ of no effect when we say, well, 
as some have said. And they've tried to do it quite theologically, although it's all been wrong, and I don't have time to go all through the, the motions of that, but, you know, to say, well, actually there is no hell. And everyone will eventually be in heaven. Wow. There is a consequence. A great consequence in rejecting, in, in rejecting Jesus Christ, especially in the near future. Think of the last few verses of, of, of our of our gospel here, chapter 5. And let's just read them. And, and I want to comment on them briefly, but I want to focus on, on, on a couple of things. Jesus said, I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. You know what he's saying here? Certainly there have been false Christs already. But Jesus was warning of a time that was yet to come, a time in which we are living today, where there will be not not only many false Christs, but many false prophets and many false teachers. That people will just gladly accept and are accepting even to this day. Jesus said, I am come in my name, or in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. Then he says, how can you believe which receive honor one from another, or one of another, and seek not the honor that, come, that cometh from God only? Again, he's, he's referring back to various scriptures in the, in, in the Hebrew scriptures, in, in, in what we call the Old Testament, but he refers to certain things that have to do with the fact that we are to humble ourselves so that God will honor us, so that God will give us the proper glory. For no man has glory, you know, with, with the Father, but he, he will lift us up. You know, humble yourself in the sight of God, and he shall lift you up. The book of James quotes this particular aspect. But he says, among yourselves you have honor one of another, but hey, you don't seek the honor that comes from God. And then he says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Now remember this, Jesus has already proclaimed the authority to be the one who will judge the living and the dead. He says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. It's Moses. Moses will accuse you. The very words that you say you believe and follow, that's going to accuse you. And he tells them that, for had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. From Genesis 3.15 where it talks about the seed of the woman, the very promise of the Messiah, to Deuteronomy chapter 18 where there Moses speaks about the coming of the prophet. The prophet is dealing not with Moses, it is dealing with Jesus Christ. And many, many others. But if you believe not his writings, how, you, how shall you believe my words? How shall you believe my words? The tragic consequence of rejecting Jesus Christ is the receiving of false Christs, false messiahs, false teachers, and false prophets, and ultimately the receiving of Antichrist. There is an Antichrist 
that is mentioned in the Scriptures. There is the spirit of Antichrist that John mentions in 1 John chapter, uh, chapters 4 and, and, and following, mostly chapters 2 and, and 4. And of course, in the book of Revelation, he calls him the beast. Today, if you ask any Orthodox Jew about the Messiah, they believe that he's coming. They believe that Messiah is coming soon. In fact, when visiting Israel, you can still see signs across from the Temple Mount and the Western Wall that say big, huge, yellow banners that that say in Hebrew, uh, prepare, Messiah is coming. They sing songs about Messiah. Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. Oy, 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 oy. They're waiting for the Messiah to come. But when you ask them how they would know the Messiah, more than likely their answer will be, He will be a man like Moses who will help us to rebuild the temple. That is more than likely their answer. He will be a man like Moses who will help us rebuild the temple. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, tells us of one who is called the prince to come. It it says in Daniel 9, 27, and he, this particular prince, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. There's too much to say. We, we studied Revelation and Daniel on Wednesday nights over the last couple of years and still, still dealing with prophetic issues on Wednesday night and through the feasts of Israel and all of that. But, but it's too much to cover. But let me just say that this is that the beginning of the seven years of tribulation. And by him being in that position to confirm this covenant, he has been accepted by the world and by the people of Israel. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. One week is not seven days, but seven years. Again, you have to expand your study of the the book here of Daniel, chapter 9. So he's talking about the, the tribulation period. But in the very middle of that week, three and a half years into it, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. What he's saying is, there's going to be a temple and sacrifices were going to be allowed to happen again, but, at the, but in the very middle of, the, of that seven-year period, what is going to happen? It says, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. If you want a, a better understanding of that, let's look at Second Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, where Paul clarifies all of that by saying, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin, the same one, be revealed the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, when? In the midst of the seven years. In that very moment he walks into the temple and desecrates the temple himself. Will, And of course there has been a forerunner to that, Antiochus. Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes. 
I'm not going into another study here because it's almost time to close. But the point is this. I come in my Father's name and you reject me. Another one will come in his own name and you will accept him. That was not only then, but it was prophetic. It was prophetic. The key to where we need to be today is in the two ways that we look at the statement of Jesus to these men. You search the scriptures. A fact. Folks, I hope it is a fact in every one of your lives that you every day search the scriptures. And it's a command. Search ye the scriptures. Dig deep. Track the scent. Be like the Bereans who search the scriptures daily. Daily. Track the scent. Dig until you find the truth that the Lord has given to us from the very beginning. From Genesis to Revelation. Some people will even say from Genesis to the book of Maps. Or from Genesis to the Concordance, whatever. But you read and you study and you search. I heard a beautiful song this morning. Uh, It's a black gospel song. Matter of fact, I like to listen to that every Sunday morning. But, But this song, very simple. Let the church say amen. God has spoken. Let the church say amen. God has spoken. God's word is true. We have it. We have it in our possession. It is ours to grow in and to grow by. Let the church say, Amen. Amen means, yes. Truthfully, truthfully, God has spoken. Is He speaking to you? He will speak to you every day as long as you search the Scriptures. Track the scent. Be a bloodhound in God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercies and your grace and your love. Father, thank you for keeping us where you want us to be every day. Even when we start to move away from that track, (laughs) we love your spirit that brings us back. We thank you for the spirit that convicts us because you love us. And we just want to love you more the more we know you.
the more we depend upon your word. We thank you and bless you. I pray, Father, that you stirred our hearts sufficiently and that we know that, and so may we respond to that today in prayer and crying out to you, Lord God, for your forgiveness, for your cleansing, for your purifying of our hearts so that we today leave here different and better than when we came today so that we might, Lord God, be good witnesses of Jesus Christ. May we love you. May we love your word. May we love your people. And may we love those who need you so much so that we will let them know the truth of Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in these things through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the power of your word we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Shall we?